Hi there, I'm Keaton. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way that you can do that is by texting River Connect. That's one word to the number 97,000. You can also head to our website, theriverchurch.cc, to learn more about us in upcoming events. Lastly, if you want to give to the River Church, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321 or head to our website and click the Give tab. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. So I am typically someone who can run on very little sleep. When I say very little sleep, like uh, I can run easily on three to four hours of sleep and function normally as a human being. Some of you are like, what? <laughs> but I am, I, I am very nocturnal most of the time. I could be up till two, three in the morning and then get up, you know, at seven or eight and for the most part function, you know. Occasionally, you know, you throw a nap in there, but for the most part, I can function. And I say that because my wife is very much the opposite, right? She is someone who needs sleep. She's usually the first one to go to bed, uh, and she uh, sleeps hard. I'm the one that's usually laying beside her watching TV and up till crazy late hours. And then the TV, of course, wakes her up and she is annoyed at me. But most of the time, she is the one who needs more sleep. Now, over the last couple of weekends, we have just had family member after family member after family member in town. I think it's like three-ish weeks straight of different family members coming into town. None of our family lives in Michigan, and so they're all coming from out of state, and so they're living with us, and it's a whole thing. It's been awesome to have them, but at the same time, it has been extremely exhausting. And then this last weekend was the first weekend where we hadn't had family over to the house, and a lot of our close friends we had been really missing. And we hadn't got a chance to hang out with them in over a month just with getting ready for family and family being in town. And so we decided to spend the weekend hanging out with them and spending time with our friends and catching up on the weeks that we had missed due to family. And this led to a late Saturday night. My wife and I were up to crazy hours uh, hanging out with friends talking, and when we finally got to bed, it was somewhere, you know, in like the 3 a.m. range. And for me, I'm like, hey, that's like normal bedtime hours for me. I'm good. I'm ready to go in the morning. For my wife, she is dying, especially after three continuous previous weeks of very little sleep and uh, all that comes with having family members at your house. And so Sunday morning rolls around, and I have to get ready uh, to go to Davison. I'm the location pastor at Davison location, and we're having communion this week, so I had to go especially early to make sure that that was set up. And so typically the way that our Sunday mornings roll is I will wake up, I'll get ready, and then I'll wake my wife up, she'll take me to church, and then she'll come home and get ready. So she has ample time, I make sure that she's awake, and she has time to, of course, grab Starbucks, because that's the most important thing, apparently. And so the Sunday morning rolls around and I wake up, I'm chipper, I have gotten dressed, I'm ready, and I come into the bedroom to wake my wife up. And let me tell you, that girl was asleep, right? Like she was in a deep 
slumber. And so I walk over fully expecting to basically have to like shake her awake. And so I walk over to the edge of bed and I go to like, you know, start the process and I just lightly tap on her shoulder. And she immediately turns over to me, eyes open wide, and she just looks and she says, I can't do this anymore. And I was like, what is going on? Like, I was fully expecting you to be deep asleep. And she's like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, can't go. Can't go today. You're just, either you're going to have to go late and just let me sleep, or I'm just not going. Right? And it was just like this bargaining sense of like, I'm just not going. I'm just too tired. I can't do this anymore. We've been too many weeks in a row with no sleep. And last night, we were up way too late. I cannot do this. And there is no way you are getting me out of this bed. Even if you try and drag me, I will fight you. Right? It's a tooth and nail. I am not getting out of this bed. And so I'm like sitting there and I'm trying to talk to her. And I'm just, you know, like, hey, you know, Meg, just because we're tired, we're up late, doesn't mean that we skip church. And, and if you know my wife, you know this is completely counter to who she is. Like, she is, she's usually the one that is coaxing me, right? Even though I'm the pastor, she's like, hey, you need to make sure, you know, like, you're there early, you're there on time. She is the one who, she would never miss church on a Sunday, ever, and I'm like sitting there trying to coax her and remind her, hey, come on, get up. You know, like this isn't how we do Sundays. Come on, you can do it. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go take the dog out. You wake up for a second and then we'll talk again. You know, so I go downstairs, take the dog out. And by the time I get back upstairs, she is out in the car. And I'm like, all right, sweet. Like we won this. You know, we got her up. We did it. I, and there was like minimal like hatred glares at me, you know, like here we go. And so I'm driving the car and, you know, I'm talking to her a little bit more, getting her more awake. And eventually, you know, I'm getting her laughing. And I asked her, I said, Meg, do you remember what you said to me this morning when you woke up? And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, do you remember when I, I woke you up and you were like, I can't do this. This isn't, this isn't happening, right? I'm not doing this. She's like, oh no, not at all. I didn't remember at all. My wife, if you didn't know this about my wife too, she's a sleep talker, right? She will talk in her sleep. She have full of conversations in her sleep. And me being the amazing husband I am, I indulge. So I will talk, have full conversations with her in her sleep. And I thought that this was the case, but it was interesting because I knew that that wasn't her, but that she needed that encouragement to get up and go do what needed to be done. And the thing is, we as believers are called to live differently. That's what we've been talking about for months and months now, right? This idea of living differently. As people who say, we follow Jesus Christ, we, uh, we are all in for Jesus, and we want him to show up in our lives, we want him to save us, and we repent of our sins, we're turning away from those things. We are called and we are saying, we are answering that call that we want to live differently. But there's some times when we don't. Right? Whether it's because we're sleep talking or because we're exhausted or because it's just been a bad day, bad week, bad month, bad year. We just don't want to. And 
in those moments, we have to have people who will tell us this isn't how, this isn't how we do things. Would remind us of what, of the call that we've answered. And will push us in the direction that we need to be pushed. But in other times, there are going to be people who we surround ourselves with who they just can't do it anymore. And we have to push them towards the call that they've answered. We have to remind them of how they have said they want to live differently as a believer. And the hard part is in those situations, there is some incredible potential for things to go south quickly. There's incredible potential for people to get heated and angry and upset. There's moments where defensiveness kicks in, where bitterness starts to take root, where we don't want to hear the criticism. We don't want to be told we're doing things wrong. We don't want to be questioned. And it ends up leaving hurt in its wake because of the way that we respond or the way that we choose to address the situation. And so the question has to be asked, how do we address these issues? How do we challenge others and how do we accept when we need to be challenged? How do we do this in a way that leads to helping and not hurting? And this, this evening we're going to take a look at that and how Scripture calls us to live in light of that. But before we do, let's pray together. If you would bow your heads with me. Lord, pride is a difficult thing to wrestle with. Lord, and as we have sought after you, as we've said, you know, Lord, We want to follow you, Lord. As we've done that, I pray that you would help us to have the humility to put people in our lives to help push us towards you when we may want to stand still or walk the other way. Lord, tonight as we walk through scripture, Lord, tonight as we dive into your word, I pray that you would give me clarity and that you would drop all walls of pride in our hearts. You drop all walls of defensiveness in our hearts. That we wouldn't try and apply this to anyone else but us this evening. And that we would leave here changed people by your word. In your precious name, Jesus' name, amen. And so we've been in this series where we've been taking a look at how we Look for restoration specifically in relationships. And the whole idea has been bringing it to the table, right? What are some hurts that maybe you need to bring to the table that you need to talk about? Maybe some hurts that people have caused you and maybe some hurt that you've caused. 
and how we have difficult conversations and how we address things that need to be worked through in a godly way, in a way that leads to healing and not hurting. And this whole series is kind of based around step eight and nine of Celebrate Recovery or AA, where it talks about making a list of people who you've wronged and then if if possible, going and making amends to those people. And the process by which we do that is difficult to navigate because some people don't want to hear. Some people have certain expectations of how they think the conversation should go. And when it doesn't go that way, there's anger and that hurt flares up again. Or Sometimes there's hurt on both sides. And so when things are addressed, it just turns into a mudslinging match. There's all these different scenarios that happen. There's all these different circumstances that are out there. And so how does scripture tell us to deal with those things? And so we walk through three different weeks of how we do that, what that should look like, and how scripture says that we should address things. And tonight, we're going to look at how... We keep hurt from happening, right? After we've addressed her, after we've sought forgiveness, after we've uh, spoken with words seasoned with salt that have gentleness and kindness in them, after we have gone through and dealt with those things and make amends, how do we have interactions with people that don't lead to more hurt? that are very intentional about having difficult conversations when difficult conversations are needed. And that can be really difficult, right? Because not all people want to live for Jesus. Not all people care about being kind. Not all people will forgive. And so, sometimes bitterness can creep in. We can look and say, you know, we have tried to deal with all these difficult things. We've tried to make amends. We've tried to have conversations where we've uh, met these conversations with grace and where we have sought to make amends and work through different things. And people just don't want to hear it. Why am I the one that is called differently called to live differently and make things right? Why am I the one that has to do it? Why am I the one who has to focus on being intentional and kind with the way that I speak? Why am I the one that always has to bring things up? Why am I the one who has to think about things before I say them? Why is it always me? You see, Paul addresses this question to the church in Ephesus. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And as Paul talks to this church, this group of people in this city of Ephesus, he's getting ready to tell them how their walk with Christ should change their relationships with people. How uh, their belief in God and how their salvation that has come through Jesus Christ should change the way that they interact, the way that they talk, the way that they deal with family members. And the way that they deal with hurt or things that need to be addressed or feelings of frustration and anger. And as he gets ready to talk about 
how to do those things. He wants to start in one specific way. And the way that he wants to start is by telling them who they are now. He says, you guys are getting really caught up in this what to do. And here's where we're going to start. We're going we're gonna to talk about the what to do later. Where I want to start is the why we do it. Because here's the thing. I can get up here all day and tell you what to do. But if you don't know why Scripture calls you to do it, if you don't know why God has said this is how we should live or why it's important for you to live that way in the first place, truthfully, it doesn't matter. I could tell you till I'm blue in the face, you won't do it. And so Paul, he says this about who we are and who we were. He says this, starting in verse 17, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Verse 19, they have become callous and then given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. He says, here's what I want to do. I actually, before we talk about who you are, let's talk about who you were. You were a mess. You were a mess. If you're in this room, you can identify with that, right? I identify with that. I was a mess. Y'all were a mess. Some of y'all are still a mess. That's just the truth of it. And what Paul says here is, you got to understand, here's what's happening. You were a mess. You were someone who just did whatever they wanted to do. And you know where that got you? In trouble. You wanted sensuality. You wanted greed. You wanted to practice every kind of impurity because you thought it would make X go away. X feeling, X hurt, X frustration, Whatever it may be, you wanted it to go away. You didn't want to think about it. You didn't want to deal with it. You didn't want to talk through it. You just wanted peace. And you sought peace in all this mess of place. Because here's the thing. Your heart was callous towards God. It was hardened. And you want to know why? It was hardened because of your sin. And your sin just took you deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into this pit that was sin. And what sin is, if y'all don't know, is sin is disobedience from God. It's anything that contradicts who God is. So God is totally honest. And so lies are sin because they go against God. And that's dishonesty, that's deceiving, that's manipulating, right? And you could go thing after thing after thing. Purity, is God. And so sensuality and impurity and all the things that come along with that, and y'all don't need specifics because you know, is sin. And that sin just leads you deeper and deeper and deeper away from God. And he says, that was you. You were in this endless cycle. And he says, here's the thing you got to understand. You, some of y'all are still living that way. You say you want to live different lives. You say that you're changed. You say that you want to follow God. You're living like all the people who aren't. And then you get confused 
Why are you getting the same reactions? Why are you in the same difficult problems? Why your relationships are still not where you want them to be? Why there's still enmity between you and X family member or that friend? Because maybe your manipulation is not for the money that you need to get whatever substance you use. Now it's to try and manipulate them to forgive you or whatever that may be. And he says, and here's also the thing. You have to understand those lost people, they're living in the exact same way that you used to live. And so why would you expect them to live this godly, moral life when they're still in the same old cycle that you were in and when you were a mess? He says, you gotta understand, that is the cycle of sin. And if left there, you're gonna stay in the cycle of sin. And so it's this hopeless place where you just can't seem to get out of. And I look at that and I go, oh no, right? I don't wanna stay a mess. And that's where I love verses like verse 20. Whenever you see the word but in scripture, I find great comfort in it because it usually denotes a contradiction, right? There's this, hopeless cycle that goes over and over and over again that is sin and you're just never gonna get out and you're never gonna get out and your heart is hardened and you're always just gonna stay a mess. But, but there, there actually is a way out of this cycle and it doesn't come from you. It says this, verse 20, follow with me. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. He says, hey, here's the thing. You learned about this guy. His name's Jesus Christ. And you would still be in that situation. You would still be living that way. You would still be a mess. But there's this guy, Christ. And he goes, assuming you know about that. And so tonight, I'm not gonna assume that you know Christ. And so we're gonna talk about who he is. See, there was this guy, Jesus Christ, who was more than just a guy. He was God and man. He was fully God, fully man. He was God's son. And what he did was he came to earth. Right? He didn't just stay up in heaven and hang out and chill there. He loved you and I. And you know what he saw? He looked at this whole situation, this constant downward spiral of sin, and he said, that ain't right. Something about that's got to change. And he said, I'll change it. And so what he did was he came down, God and man, he came down and he lived life. And what he did not do is he did not sin. He did not enter that cycle. He was tempted the devil tried to pull him into that cycle and he resisted. He was stronger than any of us because he was God and man. And he lived this perfect life. And before you think he was like some cushy king, he was a carpenter that wandered in the deserts. And he lived. And you know what? People didn't like that he wasn't part of that cycle. And they got ticked off. So ticked off, in fact, that they made up lies 
They falsely accused him. They falsely arrested him. They beat him. They spit on him. And they hung him on a cross. And they killed him. And not only did he just endure this physical pain and this physical death, but sin, in this sin cycle, it doesn't just physically kill you. It spiritually kills you. It keeps you down. It keeps you away from God. It hardens your, hardens your heart, right, to the Lord. And so what Jesus did is he took that sin and that weight of that sin and the spiritual death and he put it on his shoulders. And when he died on the cross, he died physically and spiritually as he suffered and as he gave his last breath. But it didn't stop there. And because he was bigger and badder than sin, he rose three days later just like he promised and proved that he wasn't just any old man, but he was man and God. And what he showed is he was bigger and could conquer this sin cycle, the physical and the spiritual death. And you know what he did? He threw you a life raft. He said, hey, if you want out, if you want this thing called salvation, if you want to be saved from this cycle, here's what you gotta do. You gotta confess that I'm Lord, that I am who I say I am. You gotta believe in your heart that I am God and you gotta repent from your sin. You gotta get in the life raft and you gotta not look back. You have to repent of your sin. He says, that's what you gotta do. Then you're with me. And we're gonna go to heaven and we're gonna party. And not the party y'all thinking of, but a much better party. That's what he says. That's the salvation that is given us. You can stay in that or you can accept the free gift of eternal life that Christ paid with his life for. And so what Paul says is, Here's this thing that you've been living in or that the rest of the world is living in and you assuming that you've done that, assuming that you have repented, that you have accepted that salvation, things will look different from you, for you. And so tonight, if you haven't accepted that gift, I would strongly urge you. I can't make you, but I will sit and talk till midnight. Or, I mean, I'm, I'm up till 3 a.m. I could talk to you till then, too. You just got to hang with me. I would talk to you all night about it because that's how important the gospel is. And so what Paul says is, we're assuming that you've got on that life raft. And he says, and then this is who you are because of it. Continue in verse 22. I'm going to jump back to 21, actually. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. He says, this way you were living, you were dressed a certain way. Not physically, or not, you, know, not, you weren't wearing Nike. He's not talking about that. No, he's talking about this sin. There was a sin that clothed you and it stinks. And the thing is, 
Y'all got out, but you kept wearing the same clothes. He says, you got to take all that off and burn it. Because ain't no washer going to get rid of that stank. He says, put off your old, old self. You know where it belongs? Back here in that cycle. It doesn't belong in this new life. And in verse 23, it says, and to be renewed, made new. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He says, the way y'all are living is you took a shower and you put on the same dirty clothes. He says, you've been clean, you've been renewed by the Spirit, put on the Spirit's clothes. That's righteousness, that's holiness, that's living differently. It's gotta look differently because we have been saved because we have been taught the way of Christ and we have seen the impact of sin in our life we have to naturally seek God we can't or we can't look and be like oh yeah this is the same old way if we have truly accepted Christ if we've truly repented and got rid of it we naturally start to smell the stink we naturally don't want it on and so we can't keep living that same old life. We have to put on this new life that is rooted in living righteously, which is a fancy way of saying doing what's right. And what's right we find in Scripture. And as we understand this, right, as this starts to become our identity, who we are, this isn't just like some, you know, like spiritual mumbo jumbo, right? It's not just like, oh, you know, like I'm a new person, woo, right? It's not like this weird facade where we just say it and it happens. No, we have to live that out. And so often the way that we actually live that out is in the way that we deal with other people, that's honestly where it's the hardest to deal with it a lot of times. Especially when it comes from the same old people we used to be around. They want to get you stinky like them. And it's not their fault. That's all they know. They haven't been renewed. They haven't seen the life raft. But they know something's different. And their responses are going to be different. But here's the thing. We can't get trapped back in. And so we have to respond differently. That new life, right? That living right, that doing right things. It should impact the way that we interact with other people. And Paul says... Yes, exactly. That's what we're supposed to be doing, right? He says, here's the world. The world's gonna respond a certain way, right? We all know how the world disagrees with each other. We all know how the world deals with conflict. It's yelling, it's mudslinging, right? 
It's anger. It's frustration. It's hurt. It's just cutting out relationships altogether. He says, that's not the right way. He says, there's a better way. Jump with me to verse 25. Ephesians 4, verse 25. It says this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as it is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may uh, that it may give grace to those who hear it. He says, here's how the world responds. When the world is angry, when the world is upset, when the world's got beef that we got to deal with, they're like a thief. And what they're trying to steal is winning the argument. And really what that comes down to is joy. They want to be happy that they beat you. They want to steal your joy. They don't want to work hard for you to have joy together. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying, hey, you were a thief of joy. The way that you dealt with issues, you were stealing joy. You were a thief. And he says, if you have become this new person, put away that falsehood, stop being a thief, and instead work with honest hands. So that you may no longer steal, but rather labor doing honest work so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. So you got joy to share with anyone in need. Stop treating people in a way that is tearing them down. 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as it is good for building up. Man, when I'm angry, the last thing I want to do is build someone up. Right? I want to tear them down. I want them to hear every little thing. I want their joy to be so corrupted that they're hurting just as bad as I am. Man, that stinks. He says, no, you need to live in a way and have conversations in a way and look to build one another's up so that you have joy and you have joy enough to share with other people. And I find verse 26 specifically interesting. It says this, be angry and do not sin. You heard me right. He said, be angry and do not sin. Here's the thing. Stuff will make you angry. And sometimes you're right to be angry. Some people have hurt you and it's caused some anger. You have a right to be hurt. You have a right to be upset. They shouldn't have treated you that way. 
But then he says, be angry and do not sin. He says, there's a way to be angry and not sin. And the way that we do that is we address what we're angry about. Because he follows it up with, and give no opportunity to the devil. Right? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. How many times have you been angry? And you just lay in bed and stew. You get bitter. And you think about every single thing that person's ever done to you. And why you really should be angry. Why they deserve to be torn down. That's sinful. He says, you can be angry and not sin. Don't dwell on it. Don't grow bitter. Don't let it distort the truth. Put that away. Speak what needs to be said. Speak the truth, but in a way that builds up. We have to speak in a way that seeks resolution or restoration rather than seeking revenge. And really what he's addressing here is when someone we know does something wrong or when we do something wrong. Right? He's saying, y'all need to be holding each other accountable. You should be watching me when I try and put on stinky clothes and I should be watching you when you try and go back to the same old circle, to the same old cycle. And when we see you start stepping in, it's our job to go and tell you. It's our job to come and say, man, what are you doing? But in a loving and kind way, in a way that pulls you towards Christ and not kicks you while you're down. And that is hard. It's hard for a couple of reasons. First off, it's hard because a lot of times when we're trying to address something, it's out of anger. And we let that anger get the better of us. And in that anger, rather than trying to pull you on the same team, we want to explain to you why you're on a different team. We have to be loving. We have to encourage. We have to remind each other why we're on the same team. Why we're trying to come and help. Because we put that stuff away. But then when we're the person who is struggling, who's maybe fallen back into that cycle, we like to get defensive. We don't like to hear that we're wrong. We don't like to hear that we're going to back to the same old, same old. And so we try and take heat off of us by p- putting heat on someone else. We push them away. We leave them on red. We dodge phone calls. We don't show up to Tuesday night because we don't want to hear it. Or we lie and try and pretend like we aren't hanging out there. Try and act like the other person's crazy for thinking that we're dealing with those things that we know we're dealing with. We get angry. We try and point to their faults and maybe the ways they're struggling. And it puts us against one another. And Paul addresses this this very same way of how we decide to deal with one another. He says this, verse 30 and 32 of chapter 4. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And we're getting late tonight or I would dive into what every single one of those words mean, but I would encourage you, look them up. Because they probably define how you deal with people that are, you're upset with. He says, put all that away. Put it back where it belongs. Get it off you. He says, instead, do this. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. For us, our first response has to represent the grace we've been given. As we look to Christ and the way that he came and he saved us, even though he came to a broken world to save people and those same people beat him and bruised him and spit on him and put him on a cross and put a spear in his side, he came and lived and died so that they had an opportunity for forgiveness. Man, that's gotta be how we respond to other people. We gotta show grace. When they come at us with harsh words. We got to show kindness when rude things are said our way. When vulgar talk is used at us. And we can't fight sin with sin. But instead seek holiness. Whenever I was growing up, my dad, he used to say, in an argument or in a tense conversation... You can be one of two people. You can be a thermometer or you can be a thermostat. He says, the thermometer, when there's a harsh conversation, right, they rise and fall with the heat. As things get more and more angry, right, they get more and more angry. Hateful things start getting said, they rise and start saying more hateful things. And they just get hotter and hotter and hotter with however that conversation goes. He goes, but there's a second type of person. He says, they're the, they're the thermostat. And no matter how the conversation goes, no matter what temperature things gets to, they stay the same always. They always read 70. If you're in my house, 68. They always read the exact same. He says, as believers, we got to live like thermostats. When people in our lives get angry and heated and words start getting exchanged and there's, there's just thing after thing after thing that comes our way, we cannot rise and meet it with the same level of anger and the same level of hate and the same level of, let's call it what it is, sin, we got to stay the same at a cool 70 degrees. And that's with the grace of God. That's with forgiveness. That's with kindness. That's with something, let's be honest, we're not so great at, self-control. And we stay there. Why? Because when Christ was on the cross, bleeding and dying, he stayed at a cool 70 degrees. Because he loved us. Because he knew that forgiveness was the way. And he lived holy. And we're called to live holy. And so tonight, I want to encourage you 
That if you're a believer, this is how we got to start responding. In our families, in our friendships, at your job, like it or not. If you're in a turning point at the house, right? Whatever it may be, this is how we got to respond. We got to be different. Because we are different. Because that old self is away and Christ, through his grace, has given us a new self that has been renewed and regenerated through the Spirit. And so tonight I want to encourage you to pray and ask for patience. Pray and ask for self-control. Pray and ask for peace. Pray and ask for boldness to speak truth when it's uncomfortable in kind ways. Pray for forgiveness, both for yourself, but also that you would be able to extend forgiveness to others. And here's the thing. If you pray for that, you may get some opportunities to demonstrate that. That's not always easy. Living for Christ isn't always easy, folks. And so I want to encourage you tonight, pray for those things. And maybe you're feeling a little worn out. Maybe you're like my wife on three hours of sleep. I just can't do this anymore. There's going to be table leaders down here. And they would love to pray for you. They would love to encourage you. They would love to grab your hand and go to the throne of God with you and say, Lord, let's strengthen each other. Because you know they're walking the same roads you are. They might just be in a different spot. And so tonight, I would encourage you, don't leave and just go back to the same old. But live as a people who are different. And tonight, if you heard that message of Jesus Christ and you never heard it before, tonight's an opportunity to accept that. Tonight's a a night where you can grab that life raft. Where you can step out of this same old sin cycle that's keeping you down. And you can begin to follow Christ who will renew you and help you see what it looks like to live new. And there'll be leaders down here who'll pray with you. Like I said, I'll hang around all night if it takes to talk with you because that's how important the gospel is. That is what we're called to. That's what it looks like to bring things to the table. And that is what it looks like to live holy because he has made us holy. Let's pray. Lord, We come to you and we ask humbly for your help. Because this is hard. Man, it's hard to forgive. It's hard to be patient. It's hard to control ourselves when there's just anger and hurt and bitterness that's been there far too long. Lord, I pray for help. Help for me. Help for all of us in this room. You'd help us to take off that old self, that mess that we were. And that you'd help us to leave it behind. And Lord, that you would help us to live in the right way. 
the way that you've called us to, the way that is better, the way that brings healing, the way that brings restoration, the way that renews us. Lord, I pray that you would pull us out of our old self and into a glorious new life. Lord, and I pray that as we seek those things, patience, self-control, peace, kindness, forgiveness, boldness of truth, love, Lord, that you'd give us opportunities. You put things in our path that test those things. Lord, and that we would go nowhere else but to you. We wouldn't run to anger. We wouldn't run to frustration. We wouldn't run to lash out or we wouldn't run back to the same old ways we used to handle it. We would drop to our knees and pray or we text that table leader or we grab that friend who's been encouraging us and that we would respond in the way that you've called us to. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the truth of salvation. We thank you for your death and resurrection. And I pray that you would just help us to follow you more and more each day. Lord, in your precious and holy name, no other name but Jesus Christ. Amen.